Thank you for joining me today. This is Colin Hamilton, Commodities Analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And welcome to our short Metals Matters podcast where we highlight the key things you need to know in global metals and mining this week. Well, we've been waiting on it all year, but finally China's economic data is showing some signs of life. Let's be clear, it's by no means stellar and plenty of risk remains, but the sequential economic improvement in August will likely give sentiment both in commodities and Chinese equities a boost into next month's Chinese Communist Party meetings. Retail sales jumped, that's despite the renewed lockdowns. Industrial production pushed up to plus 4.2% year on year, and that's at a time when the rest of the world is decelerating quickly. And year-to-date fixed asset investment is now up 5.8% on the equivalent period in 2021. Helped by R&B depreciation, exports are rising once more, even with a challenging global backdrop. And crucially, unemployment rates are now falling again. But with that, if there was one data point that stood out, it was electricity generation. This surged 12% year-on-year to a new record, with consumption essentially matching this. And you think about it, when compared to peer economies who are struggling amid power shortages and the inflation associated with energy, and that's most notably Europe, of course, this is a clear competitive win for China. These energy sector gains have certainly been driven by coal output growth, but also by renewables. Wind generation is up 40% year on year. So is it coal? Is it energy transition? Well, it's both. And as we've been highlighting all year, China's investment in electrification and energy transition has been outperforming all year, and I'd expect President Xi to reference China's leadership in this area in the coming uh, CPC meeting communications. For metals markets, however, well, the property drag now looks set to persist into 2023, and that does mean that wider demand growth expectations for China next year are likely still too high. Thirteen and counting. That's the number of arm-making blast furnaces taken offline now by Europe's steel industry over the past couple of months, following the closure of Dunifer's Hungarian facility this week. It's fair to say Europe's steel industry is being decimated by high energy prices. And it's not just Europe where we're seeing cuts. Brazil's August steel output was down 11% year-on-year. US steel utilisation is running at the lowest level since February 2021. And we've got POSCO's Pohang facility in Korea running below capacity until December following the recent typhoon. While these supply cuts have resulted in a bump in global steel prices, steel benchmarkers world export price rose for the first time in five months. But at $615 a tonne, that level is still less than half where it was in March. And falling scrap prices do point to still weakening end demand in the global steel industry. Certainly one to watch as we head towards year-end. With China bonded stocks extremely low and Chinese demand improving, copper is garnering some renewed interest at present. However, I'm also fooding a lot of questions on 2023 supply wave with some of the key industry consultants predicting 10% plus growth in mine supply for next year. This looks a little bit excessive. Make no mistake, there is copper growth coming in 2023, but our estimate is more like 1.1 million tonnes of growth, which does represent the highest growth since 2013, but it's more like 5% rather than 10%. Uh, So why is the difference? 
there's still huge amounts of disruption potential into 2023 from strikes, which always rise at periods of high inflation, to lack of parts from ongoing supply chain issues, to the lagged effect of a lack of pre-stripping during the pandemic, to weather-related issues given we're heading into a, a triple drip La Nina. Treatment refining charges will rise. That will reflect the greater availability of concentrate. And I would actually say there's increasing potential for a smelter bottleneck. And that's something that's really been extremely rare over the past 20 years. When we look longer term, however, the thesis is unchanged. Copper market has a major supply demand imbalance to solve. And while we are big believers in increased scrap utilisation, there's still a need to see project development in order to solve for the supply gap. To solve that, well, what might it take? We'd calculate the copper industry must invest $58 billion in growth projects over and above our base case to close this gap by 2030 through supply alone. That's based on average capital intensity. Now, that sounds like a big number, but it's not actually insurmountable. The bigger problem is that mining projects are habitually delayed several years beyond their earliest likely start date due to a number of reasons. And in our view, this is the single biggest challenge for solving the copper gap. And if we don't get a supply response, and I still think we're unlikely to get enough, longer term, the only way the market can solve is to see greater demand destruction, whether it be through substitution, thrifting, or curtailing end-use demand and engineering copper out. That all comes at a certain price level. Economics will work, and we need to go to substitution pricing through cycle for copper. And while we're talking copper, let's talk Denver Gold. Now, that doesn't sound like a natural transition, but at the Denver Gold Forum this week, which I didn't attend personally, but the wider BMO team certainly did, there was almost as much discussion on copper as on gold. Partly, this is because of a relatively bearish gold outlook. Rate hikes have now shifted the gold trading range lower. And the price is close to a two and a half year low, though in historical terms, it's still a pretty much a phenomenal price. We also note that companies in the main haven't controlled cost inflation as well as other mining peers. Gold's utility is being questioned and gold's position in an ESG world remains unclear. Thus, as my colleague uh, Jackie Price-Bolowski noted in her conference feedback, reinvestment in gold growth is viewed as unattractive at the moment. So instead, there's an increasing focus on the copper potential from gold companies. This is not entirely new, but we are seeing an increased importance placed on copper gold assets as strategically important to the gold miners, either because they're world-class size, such as Barracks Record Dig or Newmont's Galore Creek, or because they're attractive because of asset-specific merits. And there we look at Agnico Eagle's investment in San Nicolas. In the past, gold miners would have been concerned that addition of meaningful copper would impact valuation multiples. However, given that copper is increasingly attractive and there is no safety in numbers given so many gold companies move in the same direction, that is easing a bit. The other important point we picked up from the conference is that both Barrick and Newmonts, the big gold miners, noted that they're reviewing the gold price at which reserves are assessed and may increase this from around the $1,200 per ounce level currently to $1,300 or maybe even slightly higher. And other miners will likely follow suit on that. This could result in lower grade marginal material reclassified as ore from waste and therefore potentially overall longer mine lives. 
And just for reference, our long run price is $1,400 an ounce. Finally, just a reminder that I'll be hosting BMO's 6th Annual LME Week Research Seminar during the afternoon of Tuesday 25th October. My special guest speakers this year are Adam Panyai from Motion and Paul Cavey from East Asia Econ. If you are in London for LME Week and want to hear more about the outlook for base metals, the Chinese economy and the fuel to materials transition, please do join us. Thank you for listening to Metal Matters. If you have any questions or suggestions, just get in touch directly. I do hope you can join me next time round. That was Metal Matters, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Metal Matters on Apple Podcasts and other podcast providers, or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more episodes, including our other podcast series, BMO Equity Research in Tune. If you have feedback or suggestions for upcoming podcasts, please do share it with me at colin.hamilton.com at bimo.com To access our full disclosures please visit researchglobalzero.bimocapitalmarkets.com forward slash public hyphen disclosure